All right, all right. It's so good to see you here. And uh, I want you to take a Bible or your smartphone, and I want you to look at the Scriptures. Uh, it is the predominant way that God has chosen to reveal Himself to us is through the Word of God. So it's a big deal. I would encourage you to have a copy of the Word, use it, uh, get it on your phone if you're uh, going to use your phone. Matthew chapter 1 and Isaiah 40 are where we're going to be today. Matthew 1 and Isaiah 40. The best way to follow along on Sunday mornings is with the church app. In there is the message notes, and it has all the scriptures we're going to look at, all the stuff we're going to talk about, and a place for you to type up your own notes. So you can even download the app and uh, follow along that way. It's pretty easy as well. How are you doing? All right. So uh, six or seven are doing great. And the rest, I'm praying for you. I want to thank you who are participating in the restoration journey that we're on. Uh, that you can go to the church web, website, summitchurch.online slash restoration. We're in a season where we believe God is doing a significant restoration process in us as a church family. And uh, last time I looked, I think there's over 50 who are joining us on the Summit at Seven prayer effort, uh, praying, setting alarms on our phone and praying for Summit Church every morning at 7, every evening at 7. And thank you for doing that. Prayer is the most important thing in our uh, journey together as a, as a family. Uh, we're also having an effort at recruiting more people to serve, and I think there have been a handful of people who've responded there. And then in our giving, trying to uh, ask the Lord to raise up some revenue to help us get a bridge into our future. And so far, uh, last time I checked, it was over $22,000 has come in for that and another 10000 committed. So God is doing great things. We're, we're grateful to you. Uh, I do want to mention that um, it doesn't help us if you redirect your regular giving to Restoration Fund because this is kind of an effort above that. So uh, try not to do that. If you, have, uh, if you feel inclined by the Lord to add to your regular giving, that's really the effort here, and we appreciate that. So it's Christmas time, and we're going to spend the month of December looking at this mosaic of the Messiah. Who, who is Jesus, and how do we get our arms around the incarnation? And, uh, you know, as a, as a pastor, uh, it's really interesting. Christmas and Easter turn out to be some of the most difficult Bible teaching you ever do because it feels like everybody knows this story, and how do we make it fresh? And so... Uh, I love the story. I could talk about this, especially the concept of the incarnation that God became man. It's, it's the most dramatic, jaw-dropping thing, really, that God has ever done for us. Uh, it's, the, it's the hinge point of the story. The coming of Jesus is the hinge point of all redemptive history, all of human history. This is why, you know, it was B.C. and A.D. We marked the passing of time with the coming of Jesus. They've now pivoted that because they don't want to have Christ be the center. And so there's, I think it's uh, uh, BCE and CE before Common Era and Common Era, but it's still, where does that hinge? Right there at the birth of Jesus. So the life of Jesus. So truly his arrival is the hinge point of all of human history. The climax of this story will occur when he comes back for us all and redeems us and welcomes us into an eternal home forever. That's going to happen. And so our hope goes way beyond our life on this earth. But man, we're celebrating the hinge point of the whole human story and the redemptive story of God. 
And so what we're going to do with this Christmas season is we're going to look at a mosaic of the Messiah, looking at the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how each of them have a different framework for how they present Jesus to us and how they attach themselves to God's history in the Old Testament. So uh, it's going to be really interesting how we see, because it's really helpful for us as modern people to realize that God's redemptive work didn't begin at the birth of Jesus. It began hundreds and hundreds of years before that, as God set, really at the fall of man in Genesis 3, God set in his heart to redeem it all. And the Bible says that way before that, before time began, before God created anything, he knew what was going to happen. He created it anyway. And, he, and uh, Jesus, the Bible says it this way, Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the earth, before the earth was even formed. God knew what it was going to take to redeem us. It's an amazing thing. So Matthew, or Mark chapter one, we're gonna look at Mark today and how Mark frames the coming of Jesus and helps us see this one angle of the Messiah. I believe that through these four weeks, you're gonna be really encouraged as you see this incredible wraparound of history and perspective of who Jesus is. Because truly, you know, John, the gospel writer said this, if everything Jesus said and done was to be recorded in books, there wouldn't be enough ink and there wouldn't be enough paper to make it happen because everything he's done. So we're just, we're just sticking our toes in the water with this entire conversation. So Mark chapter one, we're gonna read verses one through four and then verse uh, 14 to uh, verse 14. And then we're gonna skip over to Isaiah 40 and read some from there, okay? So this will be the reading of God's word. It is our habit here to stand for the reading of God's word if you're willing and able to do so. And here we go, Mark chapter one, verse one. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Mark doesn't start with the birth of Christ. He doesn't start with a baby in a manger. He starts with an adult Jesus. And he says, this is the beginning of the good news about God. Uh, Jesus, the Messiah. And Jesus says, the good news of God has come. The kingdom of God has come. So he refers to Isaiah 40. So let's go back to Isaiah 40 and read what he's referring to there so that we can get a whole picture of what Mark is trying to show us. And Isaiah 40 was written 700 years before the gospel of Mark was written. If you ever have doubts in your faith, uh, this is one of the things that ought to calm your heart. Hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, there were hundreds of details about Jesus that were prophesied in writing, documentable aged writing, doc documents of antiquity, that told us about Jesus seven, 800 years before he came. So 700 years before that, this is what is quoted in Mark. And we're at chapter 40, verse three, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Listen to this, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. 
The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken, now dropping to verse 10, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains in the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Verse 23, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, O Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The word of God, you could be seated. Thank you so much. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the good news, shepherds told, uh, the angels told the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, the good news about God. Man, there's great news about God. I want to talk to you about the good news of God, about God, the bad news about you, and how to make the good news about God good news for you. Uh, this is a journey that any Christian who has been on, and some of you who are just kind of checking things out, a friend drug you here, it's Christmas time, okay, I'll go to church with you, uh, whatever. Uh, we've all had these questions in our soul about how does it all work? What's it all about? How come the world is so broken? And God's going to speak to us about this with the good news about God. Now, here's the big idea for today. I want you to get this. The good news about God swallows up all the bad news about you. The good news about God swallows up all the bad news about you and about me, about us. What is good news? Well, the word there in Mark chapter 1 is the word evangelion. It's where we get the word evangelical or evangelism or evangelist. It is to proclaim good news. So evangelists are people who proclaim good news to people. And uh, this is about the beginning of the good news about God. So you might be evangelistic about things. Some of you are evangelists uh, for your Apple products. Uh, you know, you get, you get lit up about something and you become an evangelist for it. You tell everybody that'll stand still. A favorite show you have, a new, a new thing you're streaming on Netflix. Uh, I'm an evangelist for cruises. Uh, a cruise is the best way to travel and vacate. I'm just officially going on record there. Uh, it's amazing. I'm an evangelist for cruises. I think everybody ought to go on one. Uh, I'm an evangelist for fried bologna and fried potatoes. 
uh, bologna is, it, it gets an unfair shake among all the deli meats. Bologna is, uh, you better try it. Uh, you, get the, you get the bologna and you fry it up and then fry up some potatoes with onions and some salt and pepper in there. And then you put that inside a piece of white bread and fold it like a taco. I'm telling you, man, you will, you will have a religious experience. And it's appropriate because when we get to heaven, this is what will be served at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So go ahead and check it out. Get ahead of that curve. I'm telling you, bologna is a wonderful thing. I'm an evangelist about motorcycle road trips. If Sue is in the room, I say it is one of the greatest ways to travel. When she's not in the room, I tell the truth. It is the greatest way to travel. Riding your motorcycle with the wind in your face and going from coffee shop to bakery to burger joint. Uh, it's, it's amazing. So people use this good news idea for lots of good news. And that's kind of what that word evangelion means. You, you, you share good news with each other. Companies and products depend on this. They're paying influencers mega dollars to be an evangelist for their product. And so you get your arms around that. In the Hebrew, the word is beser. And the word in the Hebrew is much more specific. It is to proclaim the good news about a military victory. To proclaim the good news about a military victory. There's a show I just watched. Uh, it's four episodes, limited series. I'll go ahead and pitch it. It's called the light, All the Light You Cannot See. And it is about, uh, uh, about France during the Hitler Nazi regime. An amazing uh, thing. And at the end of that, at the end of that, to steal a little thunder, uh, the Nazis lose. <laughs> and uh, tanks roll down the streets, American and allied tanks, and people are dancing and crying and climbing up on the tanks and celebrating the good news that France has been liberated, that the Nazis have been defeated. This is what the term actually has in mind, that this incredible good news. A good friend of mine named Tim, 40 years ago, visited the Holocaust Museum in St. Louis. And there was an older woman who was giving him the tour, and he noticed she had the tattoo number on her wrist. And he asked her to tell him his story. Her father was a linguist, and she and her father and her mother and her two sisters were all captured at the same time and sent to different places. She never saw them again. Her mother and father were killed. Her sisters died in concentration camps, and she survived. Her father was a linguist, so she spoke six languages. She was 15 years old when she was taken. Horrible things happened to her. They had her working in a munitions plant with other concentration camp people, and they were, they were actually building munitions for the Germans. And one day, a rumbling sound and American tanks plowed right through the walls, and a soldier stood up on a tank, a commanding officer, and he said, is there anyone here who speaks English? And she raised her hand, and he said, come, 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 and he lifted her up on that tank, and he said, tell these people that they are free. She said it was the greatest moment of her life. In three languages, she let everybody know, you're free. The officer said to her, anything you want. What is it right now? She said, a toothbrush. Get this girl a toothbrush. And she brushed her teeth for the first time in a long time. That is good news. 
This is what God is trying to tell you. The coming of Jesus is the greatest news you could ever hear. It is the beginning. Man, listen to this. I, I'm a word guy, so uh, I just clicked on beginning. What is, the, what is the word there? I would never have known this. I don't know why I clicked on it. The word beginning in Mark 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus. That word beginning is the, is the root word for throne and uh, kingly authority. This is the authority, the kingship of Jesus, the beginning of the proclamation of God the king bringing the good news about Jesus to us, God has decided, already had decided in his heart that our distance from him and our sin and our brokenness and our lostness and the, the, the contamination of the world, the triumph of evil, that this was unacceptable to him. And he decided at great personal cost to enter into his own creation. I was reading just in my regular reading last week and, and it's, uh, it's, uh, the, the betrayal of Jesus, the arrest of Jesus. And they're asking him, are you the Messiah? And he said, you say that I am. And then he said, the next time you see me, I will be sitting at the right hand of the father. And they lose their biscuits, man. And they start beating him and spitting in his face and mocking him. And it hit me for the first time, they are spitting in the face of almighty God. They are cursing him. They are beating him. They are stripping him. They are jamming a, a crown of thorns onto the head of God himself. And this is incredible news for us. Why? Because the kingdom of God has come through the person of Jesus. Why? Because God, this is the great news about God. God's crazy about you. God hates your slavery. God hates your depression. God hates your despair. God hates your lostness. Hates it so bad that he took on flesh and entered into our story because he had tried to make deals with us before this. Hey, if you will put me first, I will, I will, you know, uh, I will fight your enemies for you and I will champion your cause if you keep me first. And man, we're just so incapable of that. What is the good news? The good news is that God has decided that you suck so bad at trying to connect to God that he connects to you for you, that he does all the work to redeem you. He takes himself, sheds his blood, nails your condemnation to a cross and says, guilty no more. Do-overs for everybody. And he adopts us into his family. Listen, he takes the alone people and he gives them his family he takes the distraught and he champions their cause. He takes those who suffer from injustice and he rights the wrong. He, he is, and this is, we're only in the story, like we're only halfway through the story. There's still more to come where this triumphant victory will be consummated at the end. But we live in this incredible place of already redeemed and not yet restored. What incredible news good news of great joy for all people. Go to Isaiah 40, and here's what he says. Lift up your eyes and look, and look what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm, too, I'm over one page too far. Listen to this. Every valley shall be raised up. Watch what, what's this. This language is so beautiful. Every valley will be raised up. Every mountain and hill will be brought low. 
uh, the, the rough ground will become level and the rugged places a plain. What is he saying? He's saying that you've lived in a world where there are mountains and valleys and peaks and there are special people and not special people and God is on a mountain and you're trying to climb this religious mountain to get to know God and God is going to flatten the mountains and he's going to raise the valleys and he's going to make the ground smooth and a plain. You could skateboard on this. You could rollerblade. You could, it's smooth. Why? Because he's bringing everybody to himself. And he says right there, this will be, so the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. God doesn't have favorites. He loves us all. And he's flattening the playing field so that we can find our way to the redemptive effort of God to change us, to be loved by God, to be restored, to be renewed. God is doing this. And then he goes on this description in Isaiah 40 of his incredible strength. He spoke creations into being. He does all this stuff. Like he's the awesome, powerful God. And what does huge, powerful God who doesn't take counsel from anybody who didn't ask anybody's opinion, who decided how far the oceans could go and no further, who decided how tall the mountains would be, who decided the limitation of evil and what it could or could not do in creation. This God who speaks and mountains quake, look what he's going to do. He tends his flock like a shepherd and gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart and gently leads those who are young. Man, he gives strength to the weary. It goes on to say he increases the power of the weak. The good news about God. Listen, here's the good news about God. You don't have to beg him to love you. You don't have to persuade him that you should be forgiven. You don't have to wow him with your spirituality. You don't have to wow him with your moral purity. You don't have to become worthy of God's love. We've tried that our whole lives. You don't have to do that anymore. He has flattened the mountains and raised the valleys and made it all flat and said, all people are mine. I'm gonna hold you close to my heart like a shepherd does his lamb. I'm going to hold you. I'm gonna care for you. When you're weak, I'll carry you. He does it all. Every religion on planet earth is going to tell you their good news, which is if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, maybe you got a shot. That's not good news, man, because I know my bad deeds. Let me tell you good news. Let me tell you Basar. Let me tell you somebody standing on a tank and telling you, you are free. Wow. Why? Because God has chosen to make you free. Now, you won't understand the good news unless you first understand the bad news. So that's the good news about God. Let's look at the bad news about us. And this is Isaiah chapter 60, uh, 61. When Jesus goes public, uh, he goes into the temple. They hand him the scroll of Isaiah. He opens it to Isaiah 61, and he reads this. This is, this is what he reads. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, and to provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, of joy instead of mourning, of praise instead of a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord 
for the display of his splendor. Dropping down to verse 7. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you'll rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. So what this passage tells us is that we are poor. We are brokenhearted. We are captives. We are prisoners of darkness. We are people who mourn and who grieve. We are people who have traded beauty for ashes. We have traded praise for a garment of mourning. We have put on despair instead of praise. We have turned in our double portion and traded it for shame. We have disgrace instead of rejoicing. And we have no everlasting joy. This is who we are. So here's the tension point. Telling the truth about yourself is hard. The religious people in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, couldn't bring themselves to do that. That's not us. We're children of Abraham. I fast twice a week. I tithe on everything that God gives me. You know, I got it figured out. And Jesus says to them, I did not come for the well. I came for the sick. Now, here's the thing. They're not well. They have the worst sickness of all. They have arrogant religious pride. And they're missing God by millions of miles. Not only are they missing him, they're going to crucify him. Not only are they missing God, they're going to spit in his face and beat him and nail him to a cross. They're going to mock him on that cross. Come down. You said you were the son of God. Come on down if you can. That's how bad they're missing it. Are they well? No, they're not well. They think they're well. So the truth about you is if you think you're well, I have no good news for you. The good news is for those who understand their depravity, who understand that I am broken and brokenhearted, to understand that I'm powerless. This is step one of the 12 steps. We admitted that, we were, that our life was out of control and we are powerless to change. This is step one of confession. I need God. If you don't think you need God, there is no good news for you. But if you do, like if you, if you recognize who you are, and here became my hurdle. Let me just tell you about my failure as a young Christian. I hear the good news about Jesus at the age of 16, and I give my heart to Christ, and I am fired up. My dad had just died of cancer about two weeks before this. I was grieving. I was considering suicidal thoughts, and Somebody drags me to, to a church and I hear the gospel of Jesus. And I, I mean, God just says, come, come. I don't understand anything. I, you, if you'd given me a quiz about biblical theology at the end of that night, I, wouldn't have, I would have failed. I, I don't know anything. All I know is there was this draw in my heart of God saying, I love you. I love you. Come home to me. I'll take care of you. I'll redeem you. I, you know, I got you. And I ran to the front of that church and I laid on the floor and I bawled my eyes out and gave my heart to God. I didn't understand anything. But he redeemed me, okay? Great news. Great news. But the older I got, I didn't feel like the news was all that great. In fact, now I go through college. Now I'm a youth pastor. 
I'm married, popping out kids like a Pez dispenser. And I say to my wife, I think life was easier before I knew God. She said, you are messed up. She didn't battle the battle I had, but here was my battle, and maybe some of you can identify with it. I couldn't get rid of my shame. See, uh, my dad was Ricky Bobby's dad, okay? My dad was, if you ain't first, you're last. When we were little kids, we wanted to play soccer. or I never played soccer. That was a girl's sport in Texas at those days. Now it's a, now it's, it's a great sport, but... Uh, my dad would have forbidden me to play soccer. Uh, but, you know, playing football, baseball, they had, the, they had the YMCA leagues and they had the city leagues. And the YMCA had rules. Every kid gets to play. So my dad forbid us from playing in those leagues. If you suck, you should sit on the bench. I don't want anybody giving you any favors. And so this is the home I grew up in, okay? And everything was competitive and I could, you know, I could pull up a couch here, lay down and tell you all about it. I, it, it, it's, it it's, it's deep, this sense that I had to earn my father's love. So when I became a Christian that night that changed my life, I immediately set about pleasing God the way I tried to please dad. That is, nobody's going to outperform me. I'll pray more than every other Christian. I'll witness to people more than any other Christian. I'll devour the Bible like no other Christian. I'll fast. I'll sacrifice because God is going to say, man, that kid loves me. And I love that kid. So when you have a performance mentality, which is a lie from the pit of hell to tell you, yes, Jesus died on the cross for you, but you still need to perform. And if you don't perform, then God's done with you. In fact, I even had people say this to me. I'm a high school teenager, and the guy preaching says, if you love Jesus, but you're making out with your girlfriend in the back of the car when the rapture happens, you ain't going. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Just living in fear, I had to get saved every week. I had to ask God to forgive me because who knows, you know, the things that were going through my head and the things that I was saying and I lived on this treadmill of trying to please God and never understood the good news about Jesus. This is so important and so distorted even in our current world of faith that I would argue that the majority of American Christianity teaches you that God loves you and Jesus died for you, but you better straighten up and fly right or you'll lose it all. And so we live the old covenant while we're supposedly born again in the new covenant. This was my treadmill. And I'm going to tell you the truth, shame the devil. I was in my late 20s. I was at a men's event, and I laid on the floor right about over there in that particular room. And I said, God, I can't do this anymore. The only way I can describe what happened that night, and I don't know how long I was there, it was well over an hour, because I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I wrestled with God like Jacob wrestled with the angel in the Old Testament. And God asked me, what's your name? And I had to confess the name that I had embraced, which was perverted coward. 
that I didn't have, I didn't have it in me to live effectively for God. And I just didn't have it in me to be what he wants me to be. And so I was living in shame and in disappointment and in hurt. And the good news that will be for all people, standing on the tank and screaming, you're free, that was a distant fade. And the bad news was way louder than the good news. And I lived a just a miserable Christian life. But that night, God said, you need to understand grace, son. That even the desire in your heart to know me came from me. That you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. And I resurrected you back to life. You weren't, God didn't come to make bad people good people. He came to make dead people alive people. And so what happened is I began to have this crazy love affair with the grace of God and to inhale the good news. Once you see it and you start reading the scriptures, you can't unsee it. That he nailed your condemnation to the cross. It's done. John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world would have life in his name. This is what he desires is your freedom. And you're still carrying around this carcass of humanity and it's a dogfight all the way to the end. So you need to do works in keeping with your repentance, but you're not earning a thing. It's been gifted to you because God decided that he loved you so much, your misery, your slavery was an unacceptable reality to him. The gap between you and God was a gap he was not willing to accept. And so it says about Jesus and the, and the, and the shedding of his blood that he did this to forgive the sins of the entire world. Man, what a God we serve. He loves you. So, I live in the good news about Jesus. Listen, I don't, I don't have shame anymore. I have conviction when I say stupid things, which is about 17 times a day. I have conviction about that, and God's still working on me. And God is saying, come on, Jim, you can do better than that. Come on, Jim, that's not going to lead you anywhere you want to go. Come on, Jim, you, lean into me. Lean into my power and presence. I got you. I can help you. You don't want to keep making that decision. Come on, Jim, forgive that person who betrayed you because unforgiveness is going to enslave you, and I don't want you enslaved. But he's not trying to get me to perform in a way that makes me acceptable to him. He's trying to get me to live out the freedom that he purchased with his own blood for me, and I'm liberated in Jesus. So, man, how do you make your bad news his good news? How do you make the good news about God good news for you? You repent and receive. You repent and receive. Well, what does that look like and what do I have to do? Well, I think the best example I can think of for that, and by the way, the way I would summarize the struggle I had in that journey of, of working out my salvation with God would be Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah 2 God says, he says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug out for themselves cisterns that are cracked and broken and can't hold any water. Now that's a metaphor for our soul. Instead of receiving the living water from God, we keep digging wells. Cisterns were holes in the ground that you would line with pottery and fill it with water so you would have water out there. 
And the problem is the, the, well, the holes you dig, are, they're hard to dig, and your, your, your cisterns are cracked. They won't hold water. And you're sitting there trying to get a thirst in the desert, just a drop of water. And God's saying, I'm the fountain of living water. Just come to me. Just come to me. Be with me. I, and this is why Jesus said on that last day of the festival, come to me, whoever's thirsty, and out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. My people have committed two sins. They keep rejecting this living water I want to give them. And they keep digging like slaves trying to find water and they can't get it. That was my life, man. So the best way to make the good news about Jesus good news for you, the poster child of how to do this is the criminal on the cross next to Jesus. And this is him. This is Luke chapter 23, verse 38. There was written a notice above him, Jesus, which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself in us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly. We are actually criminals. We actually deserve what we got. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. What did that dude do to earn his forgiveness? Not one thing. If you want to make the good news about God, good news about you, here's what you have to understand. You're dead. This would actually be easier if you were nailed to a cross because you would realize I've got about an hour to live. There's nothing I can do with my hands. There's nothing I can do to redeem this miserable life that I've had. I could see where for him, this faith is almost a little easier. But you and me, we're gonna get up and go to work and we're gonna go to school and we're gonna have relationships and we're gonna, people are gonna betray us and we're gonna be challenged and we're gonna have temptations all around us. This is why you take up your cross and follow Jesus. Because as I lose my life, I find it for the first time in him. So how do I make the good news mine? I receive, I repent. It's a word we hate, but it's a beautiful word. It just means turn around and go the other way. I've been living in my own slavery. I've been digging cisterns, trying to find water. I've been working really hard, trying to please God, trying to be a better person, trying to make my marriage work, trying to make my kids good adults, trying to help my grandkids find their way, trying to do whatever I do in my life. How about this? Repent for your pride and your sin and receive the gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Pride and sin are two words, not big words, but they have a giant eye in the middle. And when you stare at you, you'll lose your way. When you stare at God, you'll find your way. Stop staring at you. Stop staring at your performance. Stop staring at your effort. Stop staring at your religion. Stop staring at your circumstances. Just stare at him. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. Stare at Jesus. Repent and believe. That's it. Yeah, but no, no, that's it. 
prostitutes and sex workers were finding their way to Jesus. Tax collectors, thieves, criminals, finding their way to Jesus. Religious people? Well, that ain't right. They got to straighten up and fly right, and they're missing Jesus by a million miles. Your fear is that if I go all in on the grace of Jesus, isn't that letting me off the hook? That doesn't feel right. This is the miracle of redemption. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. Repent for trying to do it all yourself. Repent for your self-centeredness. Repent for your turning away from God and receive what Jesus has done for you. Freedom. That's how. That's it. It's no more complicated than that. So here's how we're going to finish today. I want to give you just a few moments. Karis is going to keep this music going. And I want you for the next 90 to 120 seconds. Isn't that such a short time? But it feel, it'll feel long to you. And I want you to do some business with God. I want you to repent. Repent for thinking that you had to earn God's love. Repent for the absorption you have with yourself. Receive the crazy love of God for you, the shed blood of Jesus that washes away every sin, the most powerful force on earth, the blood of Jesus. Whatever is going on in your heart, I know I trust you and the Holy Spirit to discern what you need to be doing in this next little moment, but I want you to, I want you to deal with God for the next just in quietness the next couple minutes if taking communion is helpful to you you can move over to the sides there's communion elements there you could celebrate the death of Jesus for you if it's helpful to have somebody pray with you there are prayer volunteers that'll be at those tables you can walk over there and they'll pray with you you can ask them hey help me I want to I, I want to do this I just need a little help they'd be honored to help you do that and then when, that, when we're done with this moment, we're going to have an opportunity to just sing to God together and celebrate the good news of great joy that shall be for all people. Let me pray for you, and then I want you to enter into that response time. Lord, I'm so grateful. I am a life that was changed. And my hope is not on my performance. My hope is not on getting religion right. My hope is not on being a better person. My hope is in Jesus Christ alone. In Christ alone, I place my trust. And I pray, Lord, I, I, I know because I know Christians that online and in this room, there are people who are enslaved with religious legalism and the enemy is beating them down with shame and guilt and that you're about two steps away from being done with them because your patience is getting exhausted and it's a lie from the pit of hell. Help us to repent from our compulsion to have a merit-based relationship with you and help us to confess that we are but broken, criminal, dead people, far from God, and you want to love us. Help us to receive your great love for us. Oh God, would you do a miraculous work in our hearts? as we sit in your presence and we seek your face. I ask it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.